good to see you today. Welcome to this time that we have together. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at a subject called the invasion. And when you think about an invasion, what comes to your mind? You think about, well, a foreign army coming in. You think about, you know, something that's happening in your life, a home invasion. All different kind of dimensions come to your mind. I want you to think about an invasion of God. I want, to th- I want you to think about what would it look like if God totally invaded your life? If God got into some areas of your life that up to this point you've closed off. That if God was able to touch some of those places that have been off limits to God. He opened a door up. Maybe it was a door that led to darkness because there was something in your life you hadn't yet yielded to God. Maybe God opened a door that would lead to power. Untapped power. Because while you may be living this Christian life, you haven't been living this powerful Christian life. What would if God got involved in that? What would happen if we really became these kind of, of, of people that were marked out by God in such a powerful way that we were really changing the world? And not just talking about it. You know, as we study scripture, we're going to look at a couple of different passages today, but I want to give you these thoughts, and then we're going to watch a video that I think is going to stir your heart. But here's a couple of thoughts. So first of all is this. There is a global outpouring of the Spirit that will come before the return of Christ. Now, there is typically in Christian circles this idea that the world is getting worse and worse and worse until finally it's just horrible. But scripture really affirms that in the end of days, not only will there be this increase in darkness, but there will be an increase in light. And light always overcomes darkness. And we're going to see today what God is up to in the end times. Also, never has there been a need greater than the time we have now for a prophetic voice. To look at the situation that we find ourselves in as a people as a nation, as a global community, and say, what does God have to say in our day? Too many, too many Christians, I believe, are unprepared for what's coming. Just last week, 10 ISIS fighters were stopped at the border in San Diego. You see, we, we stop and, and we kind of want to isolate ourselves, and it's been easy to do up until this point because we live in America, we live in Orange County, we live in sub-communities in Orange County where we feel really safe. And we are, by and large. But ultimately, your safety and my safety comes from the Lord. But I want you to realize that most Christians are getting a message or they're reading, they're, they're living out their life in such a way that when stuff happens, they're going to be unprepared for it. This is not a time for the messages that say, hey, you know, don't you want to just three keys to feel better about yourself? And that message is going out everywhere. But that's not the message of the New Testament. It is one of pick up your cross and follow me. Commit yourself to me. Know that I am your God. Also, the spirit of Elijah will rest on a generation at the end of the age. Now, you may not know what that means until the service is over. 
but you're going to understand it in just a moment. You're going to begin to see. I want to show you a video. It's a video that was taken in September of 300 Marines at Camp Pendleton and see if they caught on to this idea of that power that Elijah had in the Old Testament and that message that they had. Now, it's not a great quality of video because it's taken with someone's phone, but it doesn't have to be a great quality for you to feel what's going on. So let's watch the video.
Amen. Now, my dad retired from the Army. He was a colonel. And I promise you, I was on a lot of Army bases and a lot of services, and I never saw anything like that. It's really unprecedented. You really stop and think, what's going on? What's stirring those guys like that to be so excited? And I believe it's the days we're living in. I believe we're living in some unprecedented days. I want to take you back to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want to read a little bit about this idea of what was going on in Elijah and his mentor, Elisha. So 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, the scripture says this, and so it was when they had crossed over. Now they're crossing over the Jordan. Elisha has been following him, and he's been really just kind of saying, I need more of you. I need you to speak into me. Because Elijah was a father to Elisha. Never has there been a time in the history of man when there, where we have been more fatherless as a society. And what Elisha found, he found in Elijah a father. Last week I was sitting here with Musab on the front row and one of the songs came on and I could tell he was moved and he was a little bit broken by it. And I put my arm around him and I said, I know you've given up a lot to do what you've done. I know you gave up your father, basically. His father disowned him. His father later put a fatwa on him that is a killing on him. And I sat there and I put my arm around him and I said, I know I will never take the place of your father but know that any part of that I can play in your life, I'm here. And I've watched and I've watched and I've watched people who had a father but didn't have a father because they weren't fathering their children. And Elisha was so hungry for that relationship, so hungry for that that double portion of the Spirit of God. Look what Elijah says to Elisha. Ask what you may. Ask what you may that I may do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be on me. He was saying, give me the portion of the firstborn son. Elijah didn't have any children. But he said, I want the inheritance that comes from a firstborn son. You are my father, so to speak, Elijah, and I am your son. And even though there are many sons of the prophets, there are many that speak your name and follow after you, I want to be your son. I want that father's legacy. I want to know the presence of God like you know the presence of God. You see, there's some things about knowing God you can't learn except from a father who understands the father. You can't learn it from a mother. And that's why it's incumbent upon men to step up and be men, whether it's to your own children or to someone else's children. Because we are living in a fatherless generation. 
Notice what he says. So he said in verse 10, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. It's an interesting condition he put on Elisha there. He said, if you see me when I'm taken, Elijah would be taken up in a chariot of fire. He's only one of two that will not, did not taste death in the scriptures. If you see me, why did he say that? He said, Elisha, I'm going to see how committed you are to my message, to my method, and to who I am as a man. I want you to watch me. I don't want you to take your eyes off me. I don't want you to get distracted. You see, if we're going to raise up a generation that really loves Jesus, that generation has to watch us, and we have to exemplify the power of God in our daily life. There has to be something that is seen. There has to be something that is felt. There has to be a power and a dynamic that comes not from within uh, one's own strength, but from the power of God that lives within us. Verse 11, then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elisha went up in a whirlwind in heaven. And Elisha stood there on the bank of that river. The mantle of Elijah had fallen to the ground. He picked up the mantle, he struck the river, and the water separated, and he said, now where is the Lord God of Elijah? You see, he was benefiting from the relationship that Elijah had with God. He didn't say, now where is the Lord God of Elisha? He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? In other words, I need that relationship. I need to benefit from all that Elijah has learned, that all that Elijah has experienced in his life. Now, what's interesting about Elijah is he pops up in the Bible on a number of different occasions. He pops up in the book of Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appear there where Jesus is transformed before their very eyes. But he pops up also in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Let's look what it says to say here. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You see that word before there? It literally in the Hebrew is the word that means the face of God. Before you see the face of God, I'm going to send Elijah. In other words, before the appearing of Christ, when he is unveiled in all of his glory and you see the presence and the face of God, I'm going to send Elijah. And he will turn, he will restore. You know that word restore means put it back. Can you say that with me? Put it back. You ever said that to your kids? Hey, what? You got it out? You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to put some stuff back in your life that you've let slide. There's some things that need to go back in your life. In order to be living in the days we're living in, we need that spiritual power. We need that wisdom, that insight that comes from God. And it says he will turn, he will put back the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is what he's going to do in the last days. And it says, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. 
lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What's he doing? I'm going to restore fathers to sons and sons to fathers. I'm going to restore fathers to daughters and daughters to fathers. I really feel like today there's probably a number of people who need that restoration going on, either from a father to a son or daughter, or from a daughter and son to a father. A restoration, put it back where it belongs. Now you can want all of that with your heart as a son or as a father, and, not, and it's not happening because on the other side of that fence, there's not an interest. But I want you to know, God says, I'm going to do something you can't do, and it's a part of my in-game plan for mankind. The double portion of the Spirit. Look over with me, if you will, in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you have your Bibles open there, and listen to what it says. Here's a, here's a little bit of what Elisha saw. Elisha watched Elijah. And in chapter 17 and verse 1, it says this, then Elisha... Um, said uh, of, the, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God Israel li lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. You know what that is? That's power and authority. I mean, literally, think what he said. His whole reputation was based on God coming through. He said, it's not gonna rain, Ahab. God's gonna bring a drought and he's gonna get your attention. You see, there's some things that are happening in our world today that are getting our attention, aren't they? Have you ever really known a time, you know, if you just kind of go back 15, 20 years, if you're that old, have you ever known a time where it feels like it feels today, a, a feeling of uncertainty and unrest in our world? And nobody seems to know how to put it back together. Some look to Washington and think maybe they can help, and others look around and, and say, well, maybe in my community, but it's just a, a feeling that something's just out of kilter, something's not working quite right. Well, there's a miracle here that follows that one, and, and there's a drought going on, and Elijah finds himself, and he meets a widow, and he says to her, would you feed me? I'm hungry. She said, all I have is a little cake and a little oil. I'm going to go have it, and I'm going to prepare to die. In other words, there is no more bread, there is no more flour, there is no more oil, and there is no water on the earth, and I'm going to die. He said, go ahead and feed me anyway, and I'm going to multiply that for you. In fact, I'm going to multiply that in such a way that you're never going to run out until the rain comes. You see, she was living as a pauper because she wasn't depending on the power of God. When the prophet showed up with power and authority, all of a sudden, the multiplication of the oil and the flour began. And I really believe that some of what's happening here is God is pushing us into a realm of feeling like a pauper because we haven't realized the full power of God in our life. God wants to show up in a powerful way. The next chapter, what happens? Elisha watches. Here's Elijah. He confronts the prophets of Baal, the false prophets. He calls them for what they are. And he says, the God who answers by fire, he will be God. And the prophets of Baal, these, these, these false worshipers, they called upon Baal day and night, and, and Baal never showed up. And then what does Elijah do? Somehow he's able to come up with some water. 
He rebuilds the altar, he puts the wood there, he takes the water that he has in a time of drought and he pours it on the wood and he says, now let the God who is God answer with fire. And God lit the fire. And then he ravaged the powers of darkness. You know what happens when you walk in the power of God? Darkness is powerless. It has no sway over you. It has no power over you. And God said to, Jesus said to us in John 14, 12, greater works that I do will you do also because I go to be with my Father. Greater courage will you have because I go to be with my Father. If you study the life of Elijah and Elisha and you look at the number of miracles that Elijah performed, he performed seven miracles. If you look at Elisha, he performed 14 miracles. Is that a coincidence? A double portion of the Spirit? Have you ever stopped to thank God? I want more of you. I want you to work in me in greater ways than you have ever worked before. I want that double portion. I want an inheritance of a firstborn in my life. I came across a headline and I wanted to just read it to you because it's so interesting and then I want to talk about it a little bit. This is the headline. ISIS, we heard a lot about it last week, causes Iraqis to turn to Christ at a stunning pace. This was published October 10th. That was Friday. Here's a report from a Christian worker in northern Iraq. A colonel in the Kurdish army, quote unquote, said this, you see the Arabs around you in the Gulf states which claim to be religious Muslims have not sent anything to us but terrorists. But you who follow Christ send love and peace and goodness to people every day. That day, that colonel in that Kurdish army prayed and received Christ, and he said this, today I am the happiest person I've had the privilege of making this decision. That worker said, people are forced to trust God more than they ever have before. These Christians that are, were leading to faith in Christ are growing in the relationship with God in ways that we never imagined. The opportunity is is great. No one, he said, no one is opposing the message of Christ as we present it. The challenge is there's not enough workers. The people are scattered everywhere, and everywhere you go, they're open to receive Christ. You see, there are a fatherless generation that are being ravaged by ISIS. There is no father. Allah is not a father. There is no heavenly father. There is no earthly father, spiritual fathers to feed into them and pour into them. And God is using this moment in time to bring about the conversion of many, many people. It's interesting when we were here, we just opened the building in December and in January we had the new conference and it's coming up again this year in the first of the year. And there's a group of people here and they came over and they said, could we pray over you and could we prophesy over you? And I said, yes. And one of the things they said, they said, this is going to be a place for a fatherless generation. And now every time I, I pour into a, into a young man, I think of that. I think about how do I prepare him for the future? How do I pour into him the spirit of God? How do I, how do I live my life in such a way that he wants to follow my life? We live in the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. It is fatherless because there are natural fathers that have given up their their place in the home. It is a fatherless generation because spiritual fathers are not stepping up. They're content just 
to move along with culture and history. And then there's an absence of society fathers, that is, those who are in the church or in government or marketplace are teaching those younger ones how to be men of character and men of integrity. At the same time, there's a Judas spirit that's moving in our land. We all know who Judas is. We all can relate to the betrayer, but yet there's a Judas spirit, and it looks like this. They want intimacy with God without keeping the covenant of God. See, Judas stayed for three years. Judas watched everything Jesus was doing. He was right in the mix. He wanted intimacy with God, but he refused to be a part of that covenant and that commitment to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It was a spirit of betrayal. And I, I, I can say that there is a spirit of betrayal that, that is in our land where people can't depend on people and their word. Where even those who call you friends will betray you. And we have to stand against what is going on and we have to stand in the power of God and bring about this restoration of a generation. Malachi 4, 6, listen to what it says. And he will turn, that is, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Second Kings tells us that he would not take it out, his eyes off. Elisha would not take his eyes off. Stay focused is the message for us. Elisha re recognized that he needed Elijah's mantle. He needed that. When God promises this generation, he's not talking about a certain age. You see, what we miss in this whole passage in the book of Joel is we think that, and we hear it a lot, that revival comes from the young, or revival comes from a certain generation. It comes from a generation that is defined from young to old. That's a biblical generation. Listen to what it says in, in the book of Joel in chapter 2 and verse 28. It says, and your sons and your daughters and your old men will see dreams and, and, and they will see visions. And who is it? It's from young to old. A generation that says we will be a generation. We are living on planet earth right now and we're young and we're old and we're everything in between and we want to take this kingdom for God. The fullness of the prophecy about Elisha's return and the global outpouring of the Spirit will come just before Jesus returns. The great outpouring is related to God's heart for his children. Joel described the end-time outpouring of the Spirit as, becoming, as coming before that. Is that happening? Is there a movement of God? Let me just give you some statistics that are kind of interesting. First of all, Christianity is the only religion with a personal God. There is no religion that has a personal God but Christianity. In 1900, there were 10 million Christians in Africa. Today, there are 516 million Christians in Africa. Don't tell me God is not working in these end times. 1949, there were 700,000 Christians in China. Today, there are 70 million Christians in China. 1900, there were 50,000 evangelical Christians in Latin America. Today, there are 60 million evangelical Christians in Latin America. Muslim sources say that every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. That's 6 million every year. 
Worldwide, the number of Christians has nearly quadrupled in the last 100 years from about 600 million in 1910 to more than 2 billion in 2010. That makes up one-third of the world's population. Zakari Boutros, a name that uh, you may not know, a Coptic priest in Egypt. He had a television show. He was instrumental in, in, in helping Mossab understand the, the, what was really going on with Islam. And he was so powerful in his message that he was forced to flee Egypt because so many death threats. He right now has the highest price on his head of anybody in the world, $60 million price tag. Last week, a man came up to me and he said, do you know Zakari Boutros? I said, I know of him, I don't know him. He said, well, I represent him. Would you like him to come speak to your church? I said, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I think I'm gonna be out of town that week. But listen to this, Al Jazeera reportedly aired a segment complaining about Boutros. Here's what he said. He, he has done an unprecedented evangelical raid on the Muslim world. Sheikh Ahmad Atani reported 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity each year. That is Sheikh Qatani on Al Jazeera says we have a problem. Muslims are coming to faith in Christ in an unprecedented manner, even under the threat of death. The conversion rate is on an exponential curve. In 1800, if you take the figures that we had, it was about 100 conversions a day. In 1900, it was 1,000. In 1950, 4,000 a day. 1980, 20,000 a day. 1990, 86,000 a day. 1995, 100,000. In 2010, 175,000 people every day come to faith in Jesus Christ, not because they're born in a Christian family, but because they make a decision for Jesus Christ. Who's going to disciple them? Who's going to raise up? Amen? Amen. And we have a responsibility to pour life into all of those people that come to faith in Christ. You know, and just following this service, we're going to have a baptism out here. We encourage you to stay. We have a number of people who are going to proclaim their faith in the waters of baptism. And, and just say, I believe and I have decided for Christ. I love this passage in Habakkuk chapter one in verse five. It says this, the Lord replied, look and be amazed. Look and be amazed for you will be astounded at what I'm going to do for you. For I'm going to do something in your own lifetime that you would have to see in order to believe. Those are the days we're living in right now. God is doing some unprecedented things in our day. Let me give you a few life applications. Here's the first one, the mantle of Elijah is coming. Will you pick it up? Will you pick it up? Will you say, that's what I want to be? I want to be a father to a fatherless generation. I want to pour my life into somebody. I'm going to read my scriptures. I'm going to pray. I'm going to commit myself, not for my own sake only, but for the sake of those who are younger than me, those who are coming up in the faith. Because spiritual fathers and children will rise up in the last days. They will rise up. But not everyone will rise up. Most are not prepared. 
We started the school of ministry for that very reason, to prepare people for the kingdom. We have this uh, upcoming dinner with Retha for that very reason, because we believe people are not prepared for the times they're living in. I could not have said that. I would not have said that 20 years ago, because I didn't see what I see today. Life was very Mayberry-ish in America. Everything was safe, and everything was kind of friendly, and everything was kind of understandable, and People operated by the word of their mouth and by character and by reason. But that day is gone. I want to encourage you to be a part of school of ministry. You don't have to be going into ministry to be in the school of ministry. I want to encourage you to come to the dinner and and be inspired by what this woman has to say and about the experience she had that changed her life from a nominal Christian to a sold-out, committed Christian. And then I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit of God is orchestrating the end-time plan so you don't have to worry. Just walk with Him. Just trust Him in all that you do. Love Him. Just love Him. I was driving around our community the other day, and I, I just had one of those reflective moments where I watched and drove by house after house after house after house, and I thought, I wonder what's going on in that house. And the Spirit of God just brought to my mind all the different kind of things that are going in there. And I'd drive by and I'd say, in that house there's peace. Go by the next house and there's conflict. Go by the next house, there's divorce. Go by the next house and there's children being abused. Go by the next house and on and on it went. It It was just a glimpse of the condition of our world. The church because of its relationship with Jesus Christ, is the only hope for the world. It is the hope for the world. And you have been given that task to be that person who can stand in the gap to love Jesus and to father and to mother a generation without fathers and mothers. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray and as we stand here, we are, uh, we are stirred in our heart by you, by what you're doing in our day, way beyond what we could imagine. We have to see it to believe it, God, and yet you're letting us see it. You're giving us glimpses of what you're up to and what you're all about. And Father, today as we are going to celebrate communion together, we want to take the bread and we want to take the cup as a way of saying to ourselves, saying to our brothers and sisters in here and saying to everyone that we believe that Jesus died, was buried and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And as you take this bread, as you take this cup today, just say, I believe. I believe. 